Hi, and welcome to Stefan Levera Podcast, episode 284. So who are fiat maxis? How should we think about the Bitcoin Mining Council? What about wind and solar? Are they really feasible or are they really more like unreliables? And how should we think about renewable energy usage and what should Bitcoiners be doing about it? So Steve Barber, the founder of Upstream Data, rejoins me on the show to talk about it. And he has some very interesting points of view to share. And interestingly, he actually has a lot more credibility on this front than many others have. So we'll get into that as part of the discussion. This show is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. Swan Bitcoin holds a deep conviction that Bitcoin is the future of money. Swan's aim is to help you maximize your position in this dominant digital monetary network. As a Swan private client, you'll have unlimited access to their team, strategic resources, and commitment to Bitcoin education. Bitcoin is an asymmetric investment of unparalleled proportions, rapidly becoming the preeminent wealth preservation asset for every individual and institution in the world. An opportunity like this to build and preserve legacy impacting wealth for your family or company will not likely be seen again in our lifetimes. The Swan private team stands ready to earn the right to walk alongside you on every step of this journey into the future of money. Go learn more at swanbitcoin.com private or email the CEO, Corey, corey at swanbitcoin.com. Lend at HodlHodl is a peer-to-peer Bitcoin-backed lending platform so you can lend or borrow Bitcoin and stablecoins globally and anonymously. Lend at HodlHodl is a way to earn extra income on your stablecoins by lending it with an average of 25% APR. On the other hand, if you have Bitcoin and you need some liquidity, you no longer have to sell. You can borrow against your Bitcoins. And you can still hold one key in the two of three multi-signature controlling your Bitcoin. HodlHodl does not hold your funds. So Lend at HodlHodl is a peer-to-peer lending platform. So you set your own terms and put up offers depending on how long you want to borrow or lend and the interest rate. Go to lend.hodlhodl.com. Are you interested to get into Bitcoin mining? Compass is an online marketplace making it easier for everyone to mine Bitcoin and enhance the network's security. This is not a cloud mining option. You are buying an ASIC and having it sent to a specific facility that has been vetted by Compass all around the world. Now, we've heard mining was only profitable if you're investing tons of money, but now with Compass, everyone can tap into those economies of scale and get reasonably priced hardware and cheap industrial power rates. So if you're unsure about how to get started, go to Compass. They've got hardware and hosting bundles, eliminating the need for advanced technical knowledge, so you can quickly get started mining Bitcoin. Visit them, compassmining.io, and start mining Bitcoin today. And now onto the show with Steve. Steve, welcome back to the show. Stefan, thanks for having me. Uh, it's been a while. It has. I think you were one of my, like, uh, in those early days when I started the podcast back in 2018. And, you know, it's it's all come so far. You've come very far as well with upstream data. And I know there's a lot of things going on in the space around, you know, socialism, basically. And I know you have been quite vocal and critical of that. So I guess, do you have an opening comment on what's happening to the space? Oh, the world's going to shit. Uh, everything's going to <laughs> going to hell. No, I mean, and, and that, that time I was on your pod was my first ever. So uh, you broke my podcast virginity. I've been on a few <laughs> since. So I'm, I'm a little less nervous now than I was for that first one. I was super nervous. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like uh, everything is going, I mean, all walks of life seem to be going more socialist, even America now. I think America 20, 30 years ago would look at America now and be like, what the hell has happened? You know what I mean? So uh, there's supposed to be the the shining light of uh, capitalism and and call it free markets. And it doesn't seem to be going that direction. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned uh, the term fiat maxi. So what is a fiat maxi and what's the problem with fiat maxis? 
Fiat Maxis. Um, I don't know who coined it. I've been saying it a lot recently, uh, obviously as a counter to Bitcoin Maxis. Uh, Fiat Maxis are effectively statists, like people that depend on the state. They want you to depend on the state, you know, just lower in the pecking order than they do, than they are, right? I use it. I often reference Fiat Maxis when I'm you know, complaining online about, uh, you know, the investment community, like, you know, God bless these people. A lot of them are really good people, but they, they're in these positions where they get to wield the, uh, printed money and throw it around as it comes down the, you know, the Cantillon ladder. And, uh, they get to decide, you know, what their firm, whether it's a VC fund, you know, hedge fund, whatever they are, you know, what assets they're buying up. So I refer to them as fiat maxis, uh, mainly because their money is ill-conceived. It comes from nothing. It comes from signage and effectively the, the theft uh, from the people. So they take that money and then they go uh, gobble up assets, buy people's shares. You know, there's a lot of weird stuff happening right now. Borderline financial terrorism in the markets. And uh, yeah, that's what I refer to as uh, fiat maxis, fiat maximalists. Right, right. And then bringing that to the Bitcoin energy conversation, we're getting all of this discussion around, you know, and then there's different people in the community who are responding on different ways. Like there's one way of people who are trying to say, oh, look, see, we're actually doing a lot of renewable. So please, uh, quote unquote, renewable. Maybe we should really call it unreliables, as our friend Alex Epstein calls them. What's your view on all of that stuff around the so-called renewables? Yeah, I, before I, I learned of Alex and his great work and uh, his uh, coin term unreliables, I was calling them variables. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> another another spin on the same problem. Uh, the whole renewable thing, like you know, most of the time when people are talking renewables, like there's there's many forms of renewables, like geothermal is considered renewable, hydro. I personally like you know when I am talking about renewables, I'm usually talking about wind and solar. Mm -hmm. uh, specifically when I'm bashing renewables and trying to bring like more sense to the discussion. I'm usually talking, referring to wind and solar, which are just horrible methods of industrial power generation that shouldn't be uh, nearly as widely deployed as they are, you know, due to the Due to the basically Fiat Maxis uh, basically pushing it <laughs> down our throats. But I mean, uh, from the like, just speaking of like, you know, from an engineering perspective, which is what I am, uh, you know, they, they, it, they're technologies that don't really scale. They have uh, absolutely have applications. And I've always said, like, you know, uh, certainly uh, say technology like uh, photovoltaic, like solar panels. They're awesome in the right application. Like they're 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 very much needed. Uh, there are definitely applications called off-grid small townships that they can really uh, help out. And I apologize for my voice; it's a bit hoarse. I'm still recovering from Miami, uh, <laughs> like five days later. But you know, like there, it has applications like oil field. Like you know, because my background, as you know, is I'm all about oil field. I've been in oil field my whole career. We use solar panels like before. Like they push solar panels. Uh, into industrial uh, uses through all these subsidies and, and money printing and like and law uh, effectively we use we use tons of solar panels in the oil field like solar is really really useful uh, for you know backing up uh, critical battery systems for like SCADA systems to keep well sites running to keep infrastructure running 
Solar panels have a huge place in the world, but where they're taking them, uh, I don't think they do. I think it's uh, it's all forced. It's not the free market pushing solar panels and wind turbines into the marketplace, like in Texas, across you know North America and, and everywhere else we see them. And I really fundamentally don't agree with uh, the narrative that they're clean. I don't think they're clean. They're really, in one sense, uh, it's just another form of wealth uh, redistribution. So, I mean, we're displacing primarily coal power in the U.S. and in Canada and North America and probably in Australia as well uh, with a lot of these uh, wind and solar projects. So they're shutting in coal, uh, in some cases retrofitting it for natural gas, which is great, but a lot of cases just shutting it down forcibly uh, and also making coal uh, producers and, and coal-fired power plants, uh, they're taxing them to help subsidize these alternative technologies. But the hypocrisy exists uh, in the fact that all manufacturing, or the majority, I won't say all of it, but the majority of it is being manufactured, say, in the context of just speaking of, say, America, right? It's outside of America. It's in China. A lot of it's in China and in other jurisdictions. Uh, Germany does a bit of manufacturing, but China does the bulk of it. And so when you look at that and look at, well, how is how are the Chinese manufacturing these solar panels so cheaply? And they, they're doing it based on uh, ever-increasing coal, coal-fired power plants. That's one of the primary uh, energy sources used in the manufacturing of these things. And that goes for uh, wind and wind, wind turbines and solar panels. A lot of the manufacturing is powered by coal, but just in different jurisdictions. So we're basically offsetting, and, and I mean, you mentioned Alex Epstein, he talks about this. We're offsetting the emissions in one jurisdiction. It's in being emitted in some other jurisdiction in some other part of the supply chain. So instead of burning fossil fuels in America, we're burning our coal in America, we're burning coal in China. And, and then when you, fundamentally, it's just a nonsensical idea that solar and wind can display fossil fuels. I think most rational, uh, you know, energy, you know, people discussing uh, energy understand that that's not really true. But a lot, there are a lot of people and you see, actually, I, I listened to Alex's uh, podcast re uh, recently where he replayed his uh, inquiry with the con with Congress. They had him up on uh talking about as, a, as an expert witness, I think. And you could hear it in one of the one of the people cross-examining him. I forget the, the gentleman's name. Uh, it was the one who insulted him. He, uh, he, uh, he was suggesting that, you know, the world is, is soon moving completely off fossil fuels. <laughs> and this is an absurdity because even if we magically uh, could get onto purely wind and solar, they're made from fossil fuels. So you cannot displace an underlying technology or resource such as fossil fuels by something that is dependent on fossil fuels at every juncture of the supply chain. And it's even the, the raw material, right? You need coal. You actually literally need coal as a raw material to make solar panels and wind turbines because steel is made from coal, concrete's made from coal, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, there's just a lot of... Uh, there's this weird that I always find it really creepy and weird that these, you know, our institutions, whether it's from the government down to big corporations and businesses, and even a lot of companies in the Bitcoin space are pushing for this solar wind uh, aspect of Bitcoin. And they just seem to like conveniently not want to discuss any of the, the hypocrisy that I just brought up or any of the any of those uh, ideas. It's just like sweep it under the table. These are clean. Give me my subsidy to go do this project and let's ignore the elephant in the room. That seems to be what the case is.
Yeah, absolutely. And so there's a lot of dishonesty in the conversation. And I think a very relevant example that you will probably also, I'm sure you're familiar with, is the Liberty Energy trollback of North Face. So the story went that North Face was trying to say, oh, we don't want to have this energy company's branding on our North Face jackets. And then a competitor company to them, so Liberty Energy, came out saying, no, actually, I've looked through your products and 90% of them actually used fossil fuel in the creation of them. So thank you, North Face. And that was, it's the same kind of thing. People are trying to deny reality, the real world, that we need fossil fuels and we need coal and we need natural gas and we need these things. And they want to pretend like, oh, we're just living in this green fairy tale fantasy world. Well, that's pretty much it. Like we live in a world now where, where our rational discourse does not happen. You never see on, on TV, you know, bringing up, uh, like even through the whole COVID thing, you never really saw them bring up counterpoints, counter views, and have an honest debate about it. Now, obviously, COVID was highly politicized. So that seems to be what happens when, when you get into these political topics. Uh, energy as well has been highly politicized, maybe not as sensitive topic as COVID, but it's similarly politicized. And they don't bring up, uh, well, like, you know, uh, I mean, I would say Alex Epstein again, because he's probably the almost the face right now of, um, uh, and, and his awesome book like the moral case for fossil fuels like he's sort of the face of the start call it counter movement against this uh, greenwashed energy nonsense I mean, yeah, that North Face or that North Face, like companies are constantly and, and like, uh, I don't mind calling out a few of these companies in the Bitcoin space, but like these guys are these businesses all over the world. It's hard to blame them because, I mean, when you get rewarded for bullshitting and you get rewarded for pretending you're green or pretending you're like kosher, you're you're zero carbon, you're net zero, you're carbon negative. When you get rewarded for that behavior, you know, how do you fault them for it? Especially when it's coming from the state down, from institutions down, they're literally giving them money to say these things. Uh, their investors are expecting it. The financial fiat maxis, right? That they're creditors, like the people controlling the, the financial system. Many of these companies are in debt, so they're going to do whatever the board uh, you know, recommends because the board is looking to just seek continued solvency with the business. And that means not pissing off your fiat maxi creditors. So, I mean, you know, uh, like you see that everywhere. You see it in the Bitcoin mining space, uh, like Core Scientific, Marathon, many other companies. I've been picking on those two because uh, they deserve it. But, you know, they're they're mining Bitcoin off coal, uh, which is nothing wrong with that. Uh, they're doing great things because they're, you know, I mean, I consider all Bitcoin miners doing great things. They're doing great things for humanity with helping secure, helping distribute, helping produce, uh, you know, the greatest money that has ever existed, the greatest freedom money that ever existed. So I don't, I, I see like if, if Bitcoin was purely mined off of coal, I think there'd be still a huge net benefit to society when you like compare the utility of what they're doing to say the the negative aspects of, of emissions, which are there. I mean, coal does have uh, negative health emissions and negative emissions for the environment, but there's so much more to it than that. And and these companies, rather than be proud of you know bringing it to the Bitcoin space, rather than these miners in North America be proud of what they're doing, like which I think is great, they're succeeding as businesses, they're hiring people, they're creating jobs, they're not just direct jobs, but all the supporting industry industrial jobs around it. I mean. Um, for example, like Marathon, 
I can't remember. It might be Beowulf. They got this coal-fired power plant in Montana, I think it is. I mean, that place, that that plant was borderline, you know, that was it. They had nothing else, and they did a deal with uh, Core. They're going to probably ramp up, and they do more mining, and they saved, like, literally probably a 1,000 jobs at that coal-fired power plant, like I'm just guessing. Like, they're doing really good things for the economy, but then they're going out and apologizing for it. Oh, I'm sorry that, you know, we're not carbon neutral, therefore I'm going to buy these carbon offset credits pretend that that somehow means they're not emitting carbon like which is just the biggest like fiat scam on the go like this carbon offset thing so they go buy these credits now they're oh they're in the good books of the administ the carbon administrators you know arbitrarily and, and they and then they do a press release saying the carbon neutral it's just like it's absurd on its face like most most people who care about like honesty and and reason and, and rational thinking just look at that and like this is ridiculous but it's hard to blame them even though I, I i love calling them out for being bullshitters but it's hard to blame them in one sense because a lot of these companies are doing what call it they're they're being uh they're doing what is in the they're doing the fiduciary duty to their shareholders, right? They're doing what's in the best interest of themselves and the shareholders. So it's in a sense it's hard to blame them. That's why I truly don't blame them. I blame I blame the fiat maxis behind it all, like the uh, the Cantillon hierarchy of central banking. Yeah, yeah. And so let's get into this whole offset business. So for people who don't know, what is all what is all this offset business? What what's the issue with that stuff? Well, that premise behind it is like carbon emitting businesses, like in activities, whether it's you and I personally, like paying a carbon emissions at the gas pump, uh, whether it's your business consuming natural gas, paying that carbon tax, basically they're, they're, it's a new system of account. So instead of, you know, if you're a normal business, instead of having to worry about cash flow and your balance sheet and your debt and, you know, uh, your accounts receivable, accounts payable, like cash, instead of worrying about your the cash accounting system and just staying above board on cash. Now we have this another layer of accounting system that we all have to deal with, uh, especially like, in, like it's happening here more so than the US here in Canada, because we have carbon tax in place. So now businesses have to also have this added uh, layer of overhead dealing with this carbon accounting system. And if you're public right now, if you're a public company, you have you're having to put out these like ESG reports, like sustainability reporting. There's this whole another layer of bureaucracy and administrative overhead to deal with this carbon accounting system. And so the premise of it is okay, they they tax what they deem is dirty, which is carbon emissions. Uh, generally, and and they can make equivalences. You might not emitting any. You might not be emitting any carbon, but they might say, okay, your industry is in this uh, bucket, and this is sort of the equivalence carbon that you're offset that you're emitting, and therefore you have to pay this tax. So they they take in this tax money, then they uh, they redistribute that to the clean energy or the clean technologies that they deem clean so you know it's not it's so in in essence it's something it's i would call it like it's well intended the the goal is to take money from people emitting say carbon or pollution giving it to the people that they deem who are not emitting or they're reducing it uh so obviously the the big winners are going to be at least in the space right now are going to be like renewables especially wind and solar and EVs. Uh, like, so basically all of Elon Musk's businesses are, are the winners in the carbon redistribution, wealth redistribution scam. And I mean, the, fundamentally, I think it's a broken idea when you think about it 
because really it's just wealth redistribution first and foremost. So instead of uh, when they tax me or you, the listener, instead of you spending that money that you earned yourself, they're now spending it on your behalf. The government is. They're taking it from you and they're going to divvy it out to whoever they deem is clean. Uh, fundamentally, that's a. I think that's broken because Never in history has, has the government deployed capital more efficiently than the free market. Uh, you're an Austrian economist thinker. I think you could agree with that. We never really see, I mean, there, there certainly will be outliers and examples of the government doing things extremely well and efficiently. But generally speaking, they don't deploy capital very well. They, it's a lot of it's wasted in just poor project management. A lot of it's wasted in administrative overhead and bureaucracy, and a lot of it's wasted in corruption. We just see all of this constantly. I mean, I don't know of, of, a, of a government you know, uh, construction project that's ever came in on budget. Like, it just doesn't happen. There's always cost overruns. There's always, you know, squandering of, of capital. So the, the premise that the government can can spend the money you and I earn more efficiently than us, I think is absurd on its face. But that is the premise behind this whole carbon accounting scam. And I think it's well attended, but, you know, the road to hell is paved in, 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 well, in good intent That's as good well. Intentions. So yeah. I, I don't see it. I don't see it as effective, very effective. I think it'd be a lot more effective if we just let the free market do its thing, as I'm sure you'd agree, uh, because the free market is the best. You and I can deploy our own hard earned capital better than anybody. And whatever that happens to be for, you know, it satisfies our needs and our wants better than anyone else can do so for us. So, yeah, I, that's the gist of the carbon thing. And yeah. Yeah. So I think one thing to add there for listeners, if you're interested in what the Austrian approach is on this, there's an essay. It's called Law, Property Rights and Air Pollution by Murray Rothbard. So I'll put a link for that in the show notes for listeners. You guys can check that out. But essentially, one way to think of it is this whole idea of social cost of carbon is a fundamentally flawed approach. Instead, we should just be letting you know people sue each other for damages, right? And that's it's like, and that's what Rothbard is going into in that idea there. And there are, I mean, he goes into various ideas around what what you do if there are you know joint torts and joint victims in that essay. Um, but essentially, the problem with what's going on in this whole social cost of carbon, and, and as you're saying, it's kind of like the government is playing the the win, the win, picking winners, right? And what's funny here is that a lot of these green ESG types will pretend like it's a market-based movement and, oh, see, you're pricing the carbon. But then the reality is who, who's going to set the right price for that thing? And it just doesn't really operate in practice because what happens in practice is more like, you know, from the regulations I have seen is it acts like a cross-subsidy, right? It forces, you know, the efficient and scalable and reliable energy, coal, natural gas, you know, hydro, to basically cross-subsidized to the unreliables, right? Wind and solar, because that essentially what that's what ends up happening because one side gets credits and the other side has to pay into that. And then it, it causes this really crazy incentive system. And so then, as you were saying, like people, the Fiat Maxi uh, ideology ends up kind of chasing this wind and solar thing. And then we end up not even being able to speak correctly about what's going on and not really assessing things in an overall perspective and understanding, well, there's a net benefit, great net benefit to humanity, you know, right? that there are billions of people who don't have access to the energy that we take for granted and people who might have very low levels of energy. And, you know, and the other thing is it seeps into a lot of other things that we buy, because if the cost of power is extremely high, then it means it's very expensive to produce even consumer goods. And we don't even know that, right? So we, it's sort of like, because the industrial power rates are so high, 
then that would cause all sorts of knock-on downstream impacts. And it, it actually hurts poor people even more. So it's kind of like the rich people can buy their Tesla and Virtue Signal about how grand they are. But it, the reality is they're actually receiving a lot of subsidies for that. And then kind of they're laughing at the, you know, the quote unquote, you know, all the so-called poor people in their gas guzzling internal combustion engine car, right? So it's like a very backwards system. Yeah, the incentive, I mean, like for any top-down administrative uh, like an administrative, uh, well, certainly in this case, like an accounting system like Carbon, it's all to- it's all derived from the top down. It sort of stemmed with, it sort of was seeded with the United Nations, and then it spread out between you know those statist institutions and into our governments. And it's a top down system. Top down systems generally aren't good for the bottom. Like they're generally not good for the bottom. They're generally the opposite. And exactly like you say, it's a wealth redistribution from the bottom to the top, just like it always has been. Uh, there's all kinds of other problems with it. Like in my talk, I was on a panel in uh, Miami, actually, for anyone want to catch it. We were talking a little bit about the same things, but more focused on fossil fuels uh, and Bitcoin mining. But one of the problems is like, you know, if you're a small business and you're getting taxed and say, say you're doing something that deserves an offset credit, you got to like, it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of overhead for you to, to have someone on staff to apply for that, to get it. And you're not even guaranteed to get it because like, you might not state your case very well. You might not, you know, present the facts very well. So if you don't, you almost have to, like, it's harder for a small business relative to a large business to comply with the system because it's another layer of bureaucracy that just generally is, it's going to add a cost to a business and the businesses that can't afford it are the, are the smallest. And so it's, it's discriminatory towards small businesses in general, just like most of these top-down uh, systems are. And I mean, there's so much absurdity behind everything. I mean, the... A lot of the, a lot of what drives this rhetoric, like this uh, clean energy rhetoric, is this idea that, you know, the fossil fuel industry isn't accounting for their negative externalities, right? And like their negative costs of carbon. So, like forever, oil and gas producers, for for example, have been producing and doing business, but they haven't had to pay a carbon tax because they haven't had to, you know, pay for the emissions they're responsible for. It's sort of like a they're not applying the same standard though. Like so that that is exactly what they're doing now. They're making fossil fuel producers and users account for this negative externality in a carbon tax, but they're not applying it equivalently to say the alternatives, which again, we'll just, we'll, we'll contrast with wind and solar. They're not paying carbon taxes on their supply chain. You know, like uh, recently it was in the news, like Saskatchewan government here in Canada imposed a road levy for people driving EVs because EVs are actually heavier than uh, generally speaking than internal combustion engine vehicles. So they're doing more damage to the roads. And there was a bunch of outrage over that in the like green energy crowd. But it's like that's that's at least fair. And generally, though, all the emissions that go into EVs, which is enormous, an absolute enormous amount of emissions to manufacture an EV, much, much, much higher than an internal combustion engine vehicle, uh, you know, you can approximate it by the capital cost. And it, it's not being accounted for. They're not, they're not having to pay the carbon tax uh, in that upfront supply chain, even though it's all fueled off Chinese coal. So, I mean, there's a lot of hypocrisy going on, a lot of just double standards, not applying methodologies properly across and evenly ap- across all industries, and, uh, and and certainly discounting or not accounting for at all, all the positive externalities of fossil fuels, like you mentioned, like if you, like coal, because it's so cheap and reliable, 
like you said, and uh, it drives down the cost of energy and therefore it supports uh, local manufacturing because everything that's manufactured off electricity and the heat and the raw materials of coal is done at a lower cost, which you know is passed through the supply chains at a lower cost of goods and services. But that's not that's call it a positive externality of like using coal, but it's not properly given its due credit. So, you know, the whole thing is, is effectively, whether it's from intent or, or it's just by, whether it's by design or whether it's just by happenstance, like it's discriminatory uh, against fossil fuels in a way that's not really going to be a net good for society or the environment, in my opinion. I see. Yeah. So bringing it to Bitcoin, we've got the Bitcoin Mining Council, which you have been critical of. Now, it seems they have at least tried to come out and say, well, we're, we're an open you know, council. We're trying to make this open to any Bitcoin miner. But I, I believe your criticism would still be, oh, I see you guys are still trying to appease the fiat maxis. What's your criticism then of the Bitcoin Mining Council and that, that kind of thinking and that kind of way of operating? Well, once again, it's well intended. There's no, I have no doubt that every member of that council, especially Michael Saylor, who sort of maybe sparked it, uh, is not without best intent. So I give them full credit there. I think, like, aside from the, I think the obvious uh, fact that it goes against Bitcoin, like, ethos of not, not colluding, you know, behind closed doors and all that. Uh, I would, I didn't really mind that. Like I, like I expect miners, other miners to collude together, work together, try to like, you know, help each other. In fact, I help other, I help my competitors in certain ways. They help me in certain ways. Uh, we collude, like we all, there's always going to be some amount of collusion. That wasn't what got me going on it. What got me going on it was that it, it, yes, it's, it's one, it's legitimizing. It's an attempt anyway, to legitimize and ostracize, uh, you know, legitimize the low carbon, what they perceive as low carbon miners and ostracize and demonize those of us that are high carbon miners. So I'm not even a high carbon miner. Like I'm like our business, because we use waste gas, uh, we could argue that we're negative carbon miners. Like we could argue that we're the cleanest miners out there. And that's, you know, I changed my Twitter handle to world's cleanest Bitcoin miner for a while as mocking the whole thing. But the one thing is, it's like, why are we inviting transparency into mining energy use? First of all, who cares? Like, who cares what energy is being used? Like, like I said earlier, we're all doing a huge benefit to society. If, if Marathon is going full on coal, I say all the best to you. You're doing a great service to society uh, in general. And, you know, hypocrisy on, on the other renewables aside that we just discussed with their emissions, even even at face value, if like wind and solar were perfectly clean, you know, it's not so bad that some people are using uh, carbon, like carbon emitting power sources because we're doing so much good. I mean, I think anyone listening to this podcast agrees that all Bitcoin miners are doing a hell of a lot of good uh, for society as, you know, keeping the Bitcoin system uh, robust and, and alive. So one of it, part of it is just like, okay, why are we even, why are we worried about transparency, transparency into this thing? Like, who are we trying to appease? Like, I'm a, I'm a miner. We, we have a lot of clients who are mining. We're, we have a small operation ourselves, but we mostly build for other people and, and sell them equipment. And, uh, you know, why, why would I go out and, I mean, it's pretty obvious what we're doing. We're all we're pretty much exclusively natural gas, but we're slowly moving into other, uh, uh, mining uh, energy sources because we just build for anybody. But like, why? What? Who's benefiting from us being transparent about this? About like, okay, I'm on X amount of coal. I'm on X amount of Y amount of uh, solar. I don't see it's to me. It just seems like posturing uh, 
uh, for regulators. It's posturing. Yes, they're trying to reverse the narrative that Bitcoin's bad for the environment uh, that a lot of the fudsters are, are going after. But uh, it's also not a good uh, foundation to build an argument on because, and I've said this for a while, you know, it, I think we, we, me and you and, and a lot of the listeners can agree because based on what we know about the industry, a lot of Bitcoin mining is actually on renewables as it is today, right? A lot of hydro in Sichuan in China, uh, lots of hydro in North America, uh, lots of, you know, increasingly wasted gas, like wasted energy. Uh, there's, there are guys doing it on solar wind, like CoinShares and others have done some pretty good reporting on, on a bit of transparency behind Bitcoin energy usage. But I completely disagree with the, with everyone out there. And there's a lot of Bitcoiners saying, justifying Bitcoin's energy use to these fudsters. Like the people are anti-Bitcoin and saying it's bad for the environment. Bitcoiners are saying, no, look at this. Like we're mostly renewables. Like you can't, like you shouldn't blame us because we're actually better than the average grid. The average say user is like X percent coal. We're only, we're, we're smaller than that percent coal, right? So you shouldn't blame us. That's a bad argument to make because I think it's only a, a short-lived phenomenon where Bitcoin mining Based on what I'm seeing in the oil field, I'm seeing increased interest from not just people on waste gas, but people on stranded gas. So that would be a carbon increasing application because it's just gas that was turned off and now it's turned on. Uh, I'm seeing increased uh, demand from these economically stranded coal-fired power plants. That's They're going to be spun up. So this whole concept that, okay, justifying Bitcoin is, okay, it's okay that we're using this energy because we're on renewables and we're on relatively clean energy now that's a really you're setting you're setting yourself up to fail as that transitions towards uh, more carbon heavy uh, energy and i think it will like i i think it really will because fundamentally carbon heavy energy is really really cheap and that's what bitcoin miners need it's cheap and reliable so there's an economic incentive to go towards cheap and reliable and of course i think that's going to be largely driven by the oil and gas industry but I just think it's a weak argument to make. So the premise behind the council being transparent, I think you're building on an unsound foundation in that fact that we don't need to change people's mind over, you know, what the energy, uh, what the the current uh, percentages of uh, of the energy mix is, uh, because it it isn't necessarily going to stay that way. And that now you're just setting your your argument up to fail, and it shouldn't be an argument we build on. That's why I don't build on that argument. I build on the argument that energy, like politics aside, Bitcoin is so amazing for humankind. It's not that big a deal if we're if we're uh, if we're using you know whatever it is, coal or or not. Back to the show in a moment. Unchained Capital are providing Bitcoin native financial services on a foundation of multi-signature. So you can create a vault. There's no setup or storage fees if you build it on your own. On the other hand, if you need a hand, if you need someone to walk you through that process, they have a concierge service. This is available both for individuals or for businesses. So they will ship you some hardware wallets. They will answer your questions, do calls with you and deposit $1,000 of Bitcoin in your vault. And you can use code Levera to get a discount on that. Unchained also offer an OTC desk and they also offer advanced business accounts. They've also got loans as well. So for those of you who want to collateralize against your Bitcoin, that's also something that Unchained offer. Go to unchained.com and you can find out more. Have you thought about backups? 
CypherGrid is the new product coming out from CypherSafe.io. This is the best value in the industry. You get everything you need for $59, and this is a metal seed backup for your Bitcoin seed. It's got two stainless steel plates for all 24 seed words. It's got privacy by default. It's stainless steel hardware that holds it together. It can be locked with a padlock. You get a tamper evidence seal provided, and you get an automatic center punch provided. And just like all CypherSafe products, it's made from stainless steel, it's fireproof, rustproof, and waterproof. So make sure you or your loved ones could access your bitcoins if an accident occurred. Go and order yours at cyphersafe.io and use the code LAVERA for a discount. And finally, CoinKite.com are the creators of my favorite Bitcoin hardware wallet, the Cold Card. The Cold Card is the best in the market. It's extremely versatile. You can use it in a single signature wallet situation with wallets like Spectre, Sparrow, Electrum, Blue Wallet, and others. And you can also use it as part of a multi-signature setup. So for example, you can use your cold card as one of your keys in your Unchained setup. So cold card has all sorts of features. It's got an address explorer, so you can actually verify the receive address to make sure that you actually control the address that you are receiving Bitcoins into. So this is a nice little feature to give yourself a little bit more comfort. So go and order your cold card at coinkite.com. And of course, code Lavera for a discount. Back to the show. Right. Yeah. And I think you're right to chase consistency in our arguments. And I think that's that appeals to me too, right? I'm being honest. It, that idea of we want to be consistent in our arguments as much as possible. Obviously, everyone's, you know, we're all imperfect, but we try to chase that idea because it means we are actually less open to criticism later down the track, right? As you rightly say, imagine if, you know, the, the amount of coal and natural gas mining were to rise. And look, in fairness, there's probably a lot of hydro that will come on all around the world as well. And, you know, we'll see a lot of, you know, the geothermal volcano mining, right? The El Salvador We'll see that come too. Absolutely. I hope so. (laughs) But we have to be willing and ready to debate Bitcoin on its overall merits. And for some of these green left people, you know, professional Bitcoin hater types, it will never be enough. You could be, you know, 90% renewable and they would still be angry at you for not being 100% or for, for even using it. Like they, you know, they can, for some people, it just is never enough. Right now, one other point that might be worthwhile talking about is, well, okay, the Bitcoin miner or people out there might be saying, look, Steve, I agree with you, but we live in this system regardless. Right. So maybe an analogy is like, you know, we might disagree with the fiat system and how there's so much debt in it and yet still have an incentive to go take on debt to buy Bitcoin. Right. In the same way that you might, you know, Michael Saylor and other, you know, Pierre Richard wrote about this idea of speculative attack, right, trying to borrow fiat to buy more Bitcoin. And in that sense, you're helping break that system. So what's your view on that kind of argument, that kind of Bitcoin person who says, look, I agree with you. The truth is the truth of the matter is fossil fuel energy is necessary. I don't like all this stuff, but I do it because I have to play the game. Yeah, absolutely. Like I agree totally. You have to play the game. You can't flip the table and go home crying. Like you have to play the game and try to beat them at their own game. It's really the only way to win. Like you have to beat them at their own game. So even me, who is an outspoken critic on this ESG stuff, uh, what they're what they're doing, what they've done to the oil and gas industry, what they're doing to about to do to Bitcoin mining industry, I'm an outspoken critic to it. But I, I'll toe the line where required. So like the uh, I don't agree with carbon uh, wealth reallocation through tax and offsets. I completely fundamentally disagree with it, and I won't. Uh, I'll do my best not to legitimize it in any way. Like I'll, I'll go out of my way to critique it and 
bring, you know, that's what I do online. I'm, I'm critiquing it. I'm trying to get people to understand my point of view on it and hopefully change minds, like, you know, changing minds on like coal fired power and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I have a, just like everyone else, I can't stay in business, like all things being equal, right? If it's my business versus another business and they're, they're just towing the line and taking the carbon subsidies. And I refuse to, because I'm just like, uh, you know, I'm on a, I'm on a pedestal and, uh, and I'm speaking out against it. I go out of business and I die. Like my, my business dies, right? I don't have a choice to do it. I have to toe the line on the carbon stuff when it comes to, I have, I have a fiduciary duty to myself, like my business, my own shareholders and my customers that if we can help them get a carbon credit or a carbon uh, offset credit and carbon subsidy, like we'll do that, but it's not, doesn't mean it's right. And I will, I will also work within that game, try to benefit ourselves. Like you said, like uh, sailor is, is, you know, taking on debt to buy Bitcoin. He's gaming the system. Absolutely. That, that's what we'll try to do as well. But for, at least because I'm, I can speak freely, I'm lucky enough that I don't have certain creditors or shareholders in my company that are censoring me. I can sort of say what I want. And I choose to at least critique that because I, I think the, the carbon stuff is the biggest. Um, it's, it, it, I, I think it's just a generally the, a very negative thing for, for Western society in general. It's uh, I don't I don't fundamentally disagree with the wealth redistribution aspect of it. I think it's bad for people, and I think it's bad for the environment. I think there's it's actually a net negative on the environment, for, with all the man hours and bureaucracy burned in 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 the administrative overhead. So I yeah I'll I'll keep opposing it, but I do try to choose my battles. Like even though I don't mind calling out like certain miners for just bullshitting and like you know I understand why they do it. And I, but I don't mind calling him out for it, but I, I do still choose my battles. Uh, try, I try to do it strategically. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's all we can really ask, right? So at least as people are trying to speak out and say something about it, well, at least that's something, right? It's better than the people who are just kind of openly and fully capitulating to that narrative, right? I think the, like, I think Sailor is smart and he understands generally what's happening. The There is going to be increased regulation on Bitcoin mining, especially in North America, uh, I understand that he probably sees that too. He's trying, maybe in his own way, he's trying to get ahead of that. And, uh, you know, maybe that will end up being a service to us uh, in the Bitcoin community in North America. For me, I just don't feel like we need to legitimize it. Like we can, there's other ways to justify what we do as Bitcoin miners. I don't think we need to legitimize something that is illegitimate in, in my mind. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm already thinking the argument could also be that this is another way to maybe this is not the step that captures Bitcoin, but it's pushing in that direction that, oh, see, all the miners need to be registered and cataloged and XYZ amount of energy because we need to know how much energy you're using. But the other thing to remember is that Bitcoin is a global competition. And so it might end up harming North American miners because now they will lose competitiveness against miners who get go and set up in other countries. And don't forget, there's a difference between a pool and the mining farm as well. So the mining farm can just simply point their hash power to some other pool as well. So that's also an important point to remember, right? Yeah, I'm not I don't think Bitcoin is really at risk of getting fully captured and like destroyed like gold was. Uh, I think it's got inherent 
properties that will resist that, um, which is a fun discussion in itself. But uh, I do worry, like it's not, I, I'm not at all worried about Bitcoin. Like I think Bitcoin's just going to destroy all this uh, crap anyway, like this, uh, they can try to slap anything on top of Bitcoin, it'll blow through it. I'm worried about like, okay, the regulators come in in North America, the more these big miners legitimizing this like transparency thing and this uh, carbon accounting thing, it's going to force me and my customers and everyone else to do it as well. Some of which will be at, like I said, uh, based on the size of your business, you'll be at an inherent disadvantage versus others. And so I, I consider it discriminatory in that sense. And I mean, it's coming, like regulations are coming for sure, but I don't see why we should be you know, like catering to it or inviting it. Like, I, I think we should at least not exactly push back. Well, certainly push back, but like be more reasonable about it. Like, I don't think carbon has uh, any place in the world, let alone in Bitcoin mining. And I certainly don't expect Bitcoiners to uh, be okay with it. It's, uh, you know, we talk about shit coins and everyone's all calling out shit coin scammers all the time. Uh, what about these carbon peddlers? Like they're worse, like they're way worse. Like they're like orders of magnitude worse. Uh, and it's, it's got all the weight of the state behind it. Like that's a much bigger problem in my opinion than all these little mom and pop confidence tricks and, and shitcoin scams in the Bitcoin space. Yeah, and that it does some of this folds back into the general debate. So those of us who have been uh, in the general political debate or trying to partake in that about energy, just in general, and so I think it kind of some of it does fall into the general left versus right, if if you will, in that world. So who knows? Maybe you know, as Bitcoin becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, it is going to have that impact into the normal political sphere, and then who knows? Maybe it will be a bit more like you know, people on the conservative and libertarian sides of politics will be a bit more on the anti anti esg bandwagon so well it's bitcoin's amazing because like i mean it, it's sort of where you know any market works like this like the more you regulate it the more those that, that are regulated are a disadvantage to the black market but bitcoin is just amazing because like you know uh, marathon started with their pool with that ofac compliance you know kyc like clean blocks clean coins but you know i i don't know if they if it was just the the reaction to it or they've realize themselves that we can't do this right now because we're going to be at a competitive disadvantage and you know everyone's shouting at us for it but like i'm not sure which one swayed them if it's people shouting at them or if it was just realizing that like okay we're at we're going to lose our business over time and that's the that's the cool thing about you know they can bring in all the regulation they want they can actually ban bitcoin outright in north america all that capital all that wealth that's generated that would have been in america or in america say is just going to go wherever they're doing it in secret in like mining in secret i mean that's why like i've always said you know build portable mines because you never know what's going to happen in your jurisdiction they might ban it they might just raise your prices they might bring in discriminatory regulation uh that's why it's nice that's why i, I build exclusively portable because it's not just off-grid. It just makes sense. We've seen it from time to time. Uh, there's several states now, and even in Canada, uh, the moratorium in Quebec ended up screwing a lot of people when these, uh, you know, politicians basically stop, you know, do things, make mandates, make rules that keep away mining and shut down all the all the business that was like in action and underway. And you know, anyone building portable, and if you're building small. Um, where you're not as visible, like you're not a big, you know, core scientific or something, you can probably keep going even in a regulated market if you can keep it, 
if you can keep it sort of on the on the down low. Not that I'm exactly advocating for that. I sort of am because I think it's just such a great it's a Bitcoin mining is a great thing. But you know, when the, when the regulators come to North America really heavy, they might just put me right out of business and I'll have to shut down. But it's not gonna it's not gonna kill Bitcoin. It's just gonna move to where it's you know where they can survive. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in terms of pushback also, maybe I've seen another idea you mentioned is that maybe wind and solar should be paying a baseload credit to natural gas and coal. Can you expand on that? What's this idea? Uh, that That's mostly just me trolling. Like I, <laughs> I do tro- I do like trolling, uh, especially the, the wind and solar proponents, but like they're dependent on coal. Like they're dependent on the baseload, the natural gas, the nuclear, all, all like the unreliables, as you say, like the wind and solar are dependent on the reliables. Uh, you cannot back up, like, despite what Elon Musk is peddling with his b- batteries, you cannot back up wind and solar at, at industrial scale with batteries, not feasibly. I mean, the amount, the cost of batteries would go through the roof if you had to, excuse me, if you had to manufacture that many batteries. Um, it's not feasible. Uh, any any energy, any, any engin- engineer in the energy business knows that. So there's always going to be a baseload backup. And if anything, like why why is the baseload subsidizing? Why is the why are the reliables subsidizing the unreliables? It should be vice versa <laughs> in any logical world. But also in any logical world, there wouldn't be there would just be a free market deciding what energy mixes are you know deployed, right? Of course, yeah. So let's chat a bit about upstream data. We've got a little bit, we've got a couple minutes left. Tell us the latest with upstream data, how things are going there, you know, and you brought that hash hut down to Miami. Tell us a bit about that too. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, so we went to Miami just as, you know, get out there. It's it's the biggest Bitcoin conference ever. Uh, we've never really done anything in a Bitcoin conference. I wanted to bring a building, like show it off. I was actually, my original plan, like any, you know, you follow me online, anyone listening that follows me knows like I... I have all these ideas and I change them and stuff, but I was going to bring my hash generator, which is an actual motor and run it on propane at the conference. <laughs> but they, I was actually going to mine Bitcoin at the conference with a motor on propane the whole time. But the problem with that, cause I thought it'd be a funny troll too. Cause I like, I have no, again, like I would never normally <laughs> run a motor on propane. You're just like spending a ton of money on propane, but like, I was I wanted to do it also as a troll against the uh, the energy fudsters, yeah. and uh, I never brought that unit because of some logistics. It's really loud. They didn't want me to do it. They only wanted me to do it after hours and stuff. And it's like okay, that's boring, right? I also wanted to drive it there so I could mine Bitcoin on the drive, like on the trailer, <laughs> just again as a troll and uh, like tweet it out and stuff, and really just tweet at the people that hate that stuff. But I didn't do that. I brought a hash hut. Uh, it was probably a better choice because it's. Uh, I was able to power that up the whole time. Uh, we weren't mining Bitcoin, but we were just like had it demoed. And uh, yeah, the point with that was just exposure for the company, get people to see what we build. Uh, hopefully, you know, get interest and eventually get buyers. It was really the overall the conference was really really good. I oh, and I actually we I didn't want to bring that hash hut back, so I donated it. So I, I we did a silent auction. We earned about just over 20 million sats so it's actually decent money for that thing like uh almost its full value like like just almost so that was awesome uh thanks to nick at kaboom racks for uh getting the winning bid so he's already sold it (laughs) he already flipped it and sold it but uh anyway we're donating that funds once we receive it to a few uh charities uh that'll be a bit fun and uh and yeah no it was a good it was a good conference for us And, and where we're at as a company 
we just hit a really nice milestone. Like we just, I think when I first talked to you, uh, Steven or Stefan, we were, it was in 2018. I think you said, yeah, it yeah, sounds about right. I literally just started, you know, I was just starting, I should say being commercial. And, uh, I think I only had like maybe three units running back then, but we just shipped our hundredth. So we've grown a lot, uh, especially in the last year periods of like, you know, not a lot of growth just based on where mining was and stuff, uh, the market and demand, but we've done really well in this bull market people and our, and it seems like our products are the word of mouth aspect is really catching on because we're getting new customers that heard from other customers. It's really uh, snowballing. So that's been really, really good. That's awesome, man. It's great to hear. Uh, and you know, you're, you're really out there and, you know, from the, you know, carbon and perspective, you're actually massively reducing the carbon, right? Because as I recall, it's, it's, it's that there, it would otherwise be methane, but you're able to process it. And then it comes out as, you know, like 40 to 60 times, it's like 50 times less. Um, yeah. The accountants, the carbon accountants say, uh, 25 times, like on a hundred year scale. So like it's, that just means over a hundred year time period, the methane emitted is equal to 25 times the weight in, in carbon in carbon dioxide. Um, yeah, I mean, I, that's one reason why, like I am in a really good position in the mining community to speak my mind on the carbon stuff, because we are like literally us and everyone that does what we do. Cause there's a lot now like gam, uh, Crusoe, uh, I could name like literally dozens at this point, it's actually becoming like, it's catching fire in the oil field, like no, no pun intended. And again, that's again, why I'm saying like, be careful about framing your arguments on renewables. Like it literally, I see oil field exploding in this, in the next decade. But as someone that like, okay, our business, you know, if you actually, if, if I brought the carbon accountants in and measured our emissions, we're probably in the negative, like an astounding amount because most of our deployments are on vented methane, like you said. So it's every time we capture a, vent, a methane vent, we're reducing the emissions of that producer by uh, actually our smallest package does about 7,000 metric tons per year. So, I mean, I did a quick math on, I looked through our list of deployments of about the hundred deployments and at least about 60% of them are on vented methane. So that's at least uh, 450,000 metric tons we're reducing uh, a year. Uh, so that's, you know, I don't like the term carbon negative, but that's where we're at. So I think it gives me a good foundation to stand up and say, okay, this carbon thing's bullshit, <laughs> even though we can, we can benefit from it more than maybe any other miner or like equivalent to anyone else doing what we're doing. But I, I really do think it's a, it's a horrible scam that's hurting everybody, but you know, the people at the top. So I refuse, <laughs> unless someone can convince me otherwise, I refuse to uh, go along with that. Yeah, totally fair. Uh, so any tips for listeners out there if they want to get in touch, uh, if they want to get started mining, do you have any, um, you know, any words of advice or words of what they should be doing when they are advocating as well? Uh, beyond what like I ranted about in this short, short session. Um, well, getting in touch with me is easy. Uh, just at SG Barber at, at, uh, on Twitter. You can, a lot of people ping me there. I, uh, I usually respond when I can. If you're interested in our business, like upstreamdata.ca, just hit our contact form. Uh, words of advice, uh, not really sure. Just, just uh, you know, keep hodling, but don't be afraid to spend some things on your wife and family from time to time. It's not a bad thing to spend a few sats. So <laughs> uh, don't mind doing that once in a while. 
Excellent. Well, thanks very much, Steve. I really enjoyed chatting with you. And I appreciate that we've got people out there who are willing to speak the truth, even if it's not a popular truth out there. So thank you for that. Yeah, speak your mind, at least. Like whether anything I say makes sense, uh, at least, you know, I'm trying. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Steve. Thanks Thanks for having me, man. It was good to catch up. So what do you think? Should Bitcoiners be pushing back on the ESG people? Should they be making use of the carbon credit scheme, even if they know or disagree with the fundamental reason for this being in place? Well, I'll leave that to you. Find the show notes at stefanlevera.com slash 284, and I will see you in the Citadels. Mm-hmm.